Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Matt Strautrick and myself. So Cup of Nurses podcast is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nurse topics, one conversation at a time. Hello, guys. How are you guys doing today? So on today's episode, we're going to talk about neuroplasticity, how it's a powerful ability to remodel your brain and its ability to teach you new and old habits, break away from the bad ones. And also, we're going to talk about how physical activity has been linked to protecting the brain from neurodegenerative diseases such as dementia. Yeah, it's very interesting because I know kind of the diseases are now kind of trending for the most part. You know, we're moving, well, I don't know, we're not really moving away from different diseases, but I feel like the better we get at preventing certain types of cancers or like cardiovascular disease, I feel like diseases that are based from the genetics and um, linked to kind of the decline are going to be on a rise. Yeah, even in the nursing field, I feel like we all the time, we have an, we see patients that, oh yeah, he sundowns, oh yeah, he has Alzheimer's. Like why, why is this so prevalent now? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was as prevalent before when people are, are living to like 40 and stuff like that because... A lot of times, these neurodegenerative disorders are associated with um, age, longevity, right? yeah, and you know these uh, neurons degenerate over time. They don't, unfortunately, they don't regrow back. One time, I was reading an article, and it told me that having aluminum deodorant and most of our deodorants, if they if you have an antiperspirant, does have aluminum. And if you keep putting it underneath the armpits over time, that aluminum gets absorbed and it gets stored in the brain, and somehow that disrupts that uh, leads to neurodegenerative diseases. I don't know. Just have deodorant? It's probably a conspiracy. It's not tested. It's something I read and maybe some fake news like always. You never know. Maybe some people eat deodorant. Like they used to eat high pods back in the day, like like eight months ago. Who did? Remember, that was like a a phase where kids would eat high pods to get high. Uh Uh-huh. They would just eat them. I wonder how they got high. I have no idea. You want to eat high pods with you? Did you do anything stupid in high school like that? No, not high school. Oh, not, not in general. No, not okay. in general, but I've never ate Tide Pods or anything like that. No. That was this one time where, I don't know. I practice abstinence. <laughs> I'm drug-free forever. Okay. There was this one time where there was like a thing where you um, kneel down. Not kneel down, where you kind of squat for two minutes. Then you rise up really quick and you put your thumb underneath your, um, underneath your tongue palate mm. and you blow on it. And if you keep blowing hard enough, you just faint. Really? That was really stupid. Um, I tried it once. Did you faint? Yeah, man. It's it feels so weird. It feels like you were, like, what the heck happened? And it was just like three, four seconds. But it's very unhealthy, guys. I don't recommend it. Please don't even have an idea to do this, yeah. and don't try it because your neurons don't regenerate. They that's don't true. regrow. So once you lose a brain cell, guys, that's it. So I probably lost some brain cells there. Yeah, you probably did. That's why you you know zone out for a few minutes every once in a while. I see you. In church, you know, just look at the sky. Mm-hmm. Praying out there. But that reminds me, there's another thing that they used to do where, like, people would, would choke somebody. Uh-huh. Remember? Do you remember that at all? No. There's, like, there's a face. I saw on the news, like, like back in the day where you you literally, like, choke somebody. And then up until they, they pass out, and then you would, you know, once they pass out, you just lie flat. And then they wake up. And I don't know if that's a euphoric sensation. I have no idea. I know sometimes when I kneel for a long time or I squat for a long time and I come up, come up, I get um, lightheaded. Some more static's going on. Yeah. But that's about it. I think it might be attributed to my low, low blood pressure. I feel like it happens all the time too. Like at work, I bend over and I come up like, like dizzy. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm patient sometimes. I think we should continue. We're talking about choking, bending over. <laughs> I'm 
you know, I don't know where this is going, guys. Like don't get before, the wrong idea. Like I said before, I practice abstinence. Mm-hmm. I'm um, I'm a Christian. Actually, I'm Catholic. Alrighty, guys. Okay, let's go move on to the topic before yeah. we get carried away here. So, current health news, guys. So, exercise is linked to preventing and protecting the brain from neurodegenerative diseases. It was a study that was conducted um, using MRI machines. They had a study with over 2,200 people that examined um, early cognitive decline in the elderly. And out of analyzing all these MRI results, um, physical activity was linked to improvement in mild cognitive impairment and dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah, I actually read the study before we came on here today. And it actually went in depth into different kinds of exercises. There was, was uh, resistance training. There was one with more for coordination. And then there was another one that was um, like cardiovascular, like training, like, you know, like running, things like that. And out of all those, the cardiovascular or like um, training showed the most promising results out of, out of all In that of study? Yeah. Because from my understanding, they don't know exactly which one is the best exercise for prevention of, but they're linking cardiac or cardio to being the um, the most prevalent one. Yeah, like your aerobic, anaerobic kind of exercises. Okay. Those are, probably, those are the best ones that, that came up on there. Um, and they don't have an idea of how it works, but they just know that it works. Right. I mean, from my hypothesis would be the fact that, you know, you're increasing circulation, you know, you're building more capillaries to the, to the brain, you could say, because... You're gonna need more blood to your brain if you're exercising. I think that's probably more tributary. Like a, you're getting better blood, blood flow, and then plus, if you're if you're physically exercising, you're gonna be healthier than somebody that doesn't exercise that has dementia or Alzheimer's. So just just the fact that you know working out exercising is healthier in general for you. Yeah, and I feel like we as a society over these past decades, we've been becoming more stagnant. We basically commoditize everything where. We could get food delivered to us. There's fast food restaurants. We drive our car a lot. We sit at work. Everything is so stagnant. Like we're so un- unhealthy in a way where we're not exercising enough. Like they say exercise 60 minutes a day. I wonder how many Americans actually get that exercise in. And I think as you were saying, that's probably linked to early cognitive decline. Right, especially our elderly population. Like you see some older people at the gym, but it's a significantly less portion than, you know, people that are in your 20s to like your 40s or your, or your 50s. Like I know from like my grandparents, I'm not sure how active your grandparents are, but I'm, me and Matt are both Polish, so we could come from similar, similar families. Yeah, so, you know, our grandparents worked their whole life basically farming, things like that, like hard manual labor. So now they don't really feel like doing anything. Like they watch the, like my grandma watches the grandkids, you know, they just look after the, the kids. And, you know, she's, oh, she's, she's overweight. But my grandpa that's actually in Poland, you know, he's, uh, he still farms and stuff. So that's kind of his workout. So he's skinny. He's he looks like like healthier, you know, than my grandma does here. But my grandma here does more of like the housework and just kind of watches over the kids. Doesn't really exercise me. I maybe I see her outside once in a while. Maybe like collecting like you know the few trash that the wind blows over Carrots. or things like that, or picking a garden and things like that. You know, but yeah, I'm not sure how you're, how athletic or how active your grandparents are. They're the basically the same way. My grandpa feels like he worked his whole life and. He went through like, you know, World War Two in a way and he seen how there's communism in Poland and now he kinda deserves to be resting and like mm-hmm. that. So he just watches T V. Sometimes my grandpa gets him out of you know my grandma gets him out of the house and they go for a walk, but that's about it. Exactly. Yeah, and my grandma's on blood pressure medications, you know, blood thinners things like that. Because a lot of times our <clears throat> the older generation don't understand that physical activity isn't just you know, like uh, like you, like you could say working. It's not just work. You could do a physical exercise just to stay healthy. Like my parents would always say when I was in high school or college, like, like why go into the gym? Why don't you just you know 
go lift some like shingles or some or some blocks and with like a remodeling job. And like mom, it's not not the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm I go to the gym, you know, to stay healthy. To you know, that's something I enjoy doing compared to you know doing remodeling or, or construction where you got to lift heavy blocks. Yeah, you're getting a workout, but you know that's gonna put a strain on your back, and you don't want to do that. Yeah, I think they come from the older generation where it's not a thing. Mm. Just like if you had a man back in the day that went for a jog or he was meditating, he'd be looked at like he's some kind of like soy boy or something, like he's a goofy, you know? But now it's being more accepted where men are stretching. And my dad doesn't stretch, you know? And they think it's like, what is that for? You know, so now we're stretching, we're doing yoga, we're eating healthy. So I think we as a generation, we're really evolving and understanding how these little things impact us in the long run. Yeah, you think it's more like a like a Western culture kind of thing? Because I'm not sure how it is now in Europe. Like, do people in Europe go to the gym as much as they do here? Is it like the same viewpoint? Because I know, I know a lot of bodybuilders are, are like one of the strong ones or like the Olympians, they come from Europe. But I'm not sure if working out is like a daily thing as as it is here. You know, because here you could go to gym gym every day and it's kind of, you see people that go to gym every day and they're, they're quite frequently, you quite frequently see somebody on the street that, yeah, it works out. But I wonder how it is like in Europe or in China. Yeah, that, that'd be really interesting mm-hmm. to get a perspective. Yeah. I don't know how we could tap into somebody from China since there's communism there. They don't have social media. We'd have to probably use one of their um, social media platforms and try to communicate. Maybe. Or like even like the Philippines, like some of the Asian Asian countries, India, people are from India. India yeah, here. Maybe we'll go on TikTok. Yeah. Hey, anybody from China, guys, how is your um, working out there? Yeah, how do you work out? Excuse me, I had a burp. Alrighty, so we talk about all this neurodegenerative diseases, and let's talk about, for example, neurons and like what they are, just to understand a little bit about their brain before we get into neuroplasticity. And neurons are the building blocks of our ner- nervous system. They are basically part of the brain. They're part of the spine. And just like I explained, they don't regenerate or reproduce. So we have a certain amount, and once they're damaged, they can't be replaced. That's why if you drink and you get too anoxic, meaning you're losing circulation to your brain, that's very unhealthy, concussions, little things that damage the brain, they have those long-term side effects if they're you know, not taken care of. Same thing with strokes, guys. The reason why strokes are so devastating is because those neurons, once they got destroyed from the lack of oxygen, they don't regenerate. Yeah. And we talked about which diseases kind of are neurodegenerative, just to kind of be aware. Right, your Alzheimer's, dementias, things like that. And I've been told that memory loss is not something you should attribute to aging. I know I've heard a lot of people say like, yeah, he, they don't remember just because, you know, they're 80 years old and, and they're old. But I know a, physician, a few physicians told me that memory loss is, should not be attributed to, to old age. That's not something that you just develop over time. That's something like forgetfulness, you know, that's okay. We're all forgetful. It doesn't matter what, what age you are. But like memory loss, it's not attributed to like you just getting older. I know that was like a, like a, people thought it was a fact, but it's, it seems like it's more, more of a myth now. Isn't that interesting how we've been only in the nursing field for a few years and we see how things are evolving. They're already saying that statins shouldn't be the primary source of lowering cholesterol. Like, And um, there's, there's different um, organizations that are releasing information that's basically disapproving all this modern medicine that we currently have. Right, and actually, I, I like that a lot because I feel like now... There's so much information on the web, which, you know, has its benefits and negatives, but like I'd say, you know, you disagree with somebody, you can actually kind of do your own research studies and kind of try and prove them them wrong. But then that kind of goes both ways too. If you have like an agenda and then you could obviously skew the results, but if, you know, like you could try it out and if it doesn't work for you, you could always change and, you know, give somebody your feedback. Like, yeah. hey, I tried doing this, it didn't work for me, so I'm not going to do it. So it's not 
100% for everybody and does not 100% guarantee you these results, which I think is very interesting. It is. Mm. Let's jump into it. Yeah, so neuroplasticity. So that's the ability for the brain to form and reorganize synaptic connections, especially in response to learning experience or following injury. Um, so that kind of basically is how neuroplasticity is basically how your brain kind of grows and learns things and just kind of programs it to wiring for the most part. We're using, using axons, dendrites, and just neurons in general. And because a lot of people think that our physical brain only has a structure, and a lot of people don't know that these neurons create stronger connections and they get rid of the connections they're not, they're unnecessary because a lot of our brain uses a lot of energy. And in order to become more efficient, it kind of gets rid of things that, that is unnecessary for them. So neuroplasticity basically shifting things. The more, the more of a daily action we produce, the more of those connections grow stronger. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that, unfortunately, neuroplasticity doesn't have or is not able to determine if your habit or your action is good or bad. So it, it, it makes stronger connections based on whatever you're doing. That's why you could smoking, alcohol, whatever it is, it, it could be bad or it could be exercising and you're just connecting and making these connections stronger. Exactly, yeah. So you're, um, you know how in some part of our mind there's like a moral compass that most of us have, I know, like psychopaths and stuff, they don't have a moral compass because they just, you know, act on, on, on impulse. But no plasticity is kind of, like you, like plasticity, it's, it's like kind of reminds you of the word Plato. You know, you, you kind of mold it and you can mold it whichever, whichever way you want, but there's nothing that tells you you should do this instead of this. It's kind of just like the more you do certain things, the more you learn, and the more your brain kind of hardwires itself that way. So yes or no question, are you able to break the habit of being yourself? Yeah, I mean, if if you want to get get um theological here, like well, like like what is yourself like? Are am I more of myself today than I, than I was yesterday? You know, am I more of myself today than I was you know when I was sixteen or when I was I was ten? You know, so yeah, I feel like it's it's always you're always changing. Yeah, we, we get stagnant at some point, and that's kind of when we fall into like a simple routine. And neuroplasticity is still working in that sense, where you have a routine, but it's hardwiring the same task over and over again compared to when you try to do something new. Then neuroplasticity works again in a in a different way. You know, it's still neuroplasticity, but it just kind of evolves you to a different person. So I kind of forgot what your question was. If you're able to break the habit of being yourself, which I would say yes, right? Yeah. Because if you don't like a habit, you can certainly change the habit. And with enough action of doing something different, you're able to rewire your brain and not do that action that you didn't like to do. Yeah, I completely agree. There's been, you know, years of my life where I didn't work out. And all of a sudden, you know, I work out and it, it turned into a habit. And, you know, I'm an individual that likes to exercise. Yeah. So think of neuroplasticity like muscle building. It's like muscle building the part of the brain. And the principle that we have to apply is use it or lose it. So it's very important to, just like we talk about, we keep repeating this action over and over again. And with that action, it increases power to the habit, to the routine. And over time, these neural synapses become stronger and they literally become a part of us. So in all due respect, we literally become the thing that we do. Yeah. So I know you've mentioned before the law of attraction. Um, you know more about it than I do for the most part because you've read, you read books on it. But the general gist of what it is 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 basically what you are is what you think, right? Law yeah. of attraction. So kind of if you put your mind on something, you know, you're going to attain it, which which I, I believe is true. You know, it's um, you can't just, you know, 
imagine a million dollars and not doing anything about it and I don't like you're going to get it. It's not how it works. But, you know, saying that, hey, I'm going to make a million dollars off, you know, um, swapping cars and that's something that's attainable. And yeah, so I believe law of attraction works in that way, but it's not just just me thinking. Yeah, it could also be in different ways. Like, mm-hmm. let's just say you're trying to gain confidence. You can't you can't be out there in the world searching for the confidence. You have to tell yourself, I'm confident, and you have to know how to do those actions. And with those actions and with that mindset, you'll become what you think. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. that's like a, that works well into neuroplasticity because like the first step of you actually doing something is actually thinking about it. Like before you step into the gym, you're actually thinking about going to the gym, and then you walk into the gym, you sign up for membership, and then you start doing it. And then, like with the law of attraction, then once you think about it, you do it, then you're going to eventually attain it because you're not going to go to the gym for one day. You're going to keep building, keep building, keep building, and eventually you're going to attain your goals. Just some goals are long-term goals, some goals are short-term goals. Yeah, and I think with everything else, like there's so many distractions in the world. You get so caught up with everything. Like you need willpower, you need the effort, you need the consistency in what you're doing. You know, it's not... We can't provide you a secret. There's no secret to wanting something or achieving something. You have to literally put in the work. Like, there's pain in what you're going to do. Yeah. I mean, if there's a secret, the secret is get up and doing it. That's the only thing. It's as simple as it sounds. That's how it works. And I feel like a lot of people don't act on their action. Like, I call it like self improvement masturbation, where you look up something and you have this motivational video to go to the gym, to get up, to go work out, and your brain releases those good chemicals because you got motivated, but you don't actually do that action. And it's like a repetitive process of watching this motivation because you need it instead of you just acting on it and gaining that momentum, you know? Right, that's true. Same with like, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk about this anyways, even though it might be a little um, inappropriate or whatever, but like same with, with, with like sex. There's two ways you could, you know, have sex. Like you could say, you know, you could either one, watch porn, and just, you know, masturbate and, and get off of then. But then you're, you're losing having sex with like an actual partner. And it's a lot easier for you to get the same rewards as sex from just porn. And that's when people kind of just get get addicted and they just keep doing it over, over and over again. And they don't have any kind of uh, reward or any kind of intention or they're not inclined to go out and socialize with, with somebody and try to, you know, pick up like a, a girl or a, or a guy because, you know, that takes hard work. That actually takes, takes something you actually got to stand up, talk to somebody and actually, you know, go through the process parts of coming home and just, you know, jerking off to porn. Right. So that's kind of another another thing with that as well. And that goes with neuroplasticity too, because your brain sees the same reward in a, in a, like, like a simple aspect with you just coming home, sitting down, doing your thing versus you having to go out, might take you a few drinks, a few hours to, you know, to, to like hook up with somebody. So your brain's obviously going to, you know, grow and more hardwired to you just coming home and doing your deed. Yeah. PD with the pickup artist here, huh? Watch out, man. Um, and just to um, circle off that, so The Power of Habit, guys, and it's something I looked up. It's a great book, too, called The Power of Habit. Habits form in three ways. There's something called the cue, the routine, and the reward, guys. So basically, the cue is the trigger. What is offsetting that habit to happen? We could use an example of, I don't want to use the weird example, pornography. We, we'll use the kitchen and making coffee. You know, you get into the kitchen and your habit starts, right? You get into the routine, which is the behavior of your habit, which is making coffee, right? You grind up your beans, you smell it up, the rich taste, the, I'm sorry, the rich aroma taste of the coffee. You put the, you know, the kettle on, heat up the water, and you make your brew. And the reward is something satisfaction. And that's basically, if we're using the example of coffee, 
the reward is you have being more focused, you being more energized, you waking up. And this is a three-step loop that always habit happens in building a habit, guys. And a lot of people don't know that in order to stop the habit, you have to stop the trigger, which is the cue. There is no habit without the trigger. So in order to stop bad triggers, you have to stop what's what's the environment, what's the situation, what's the emotion that's causing you to start this. If it's um, in your scenario, you watching um, pornography online, you know, close the web or stop going to that same place that's triggering things. And that's the same thing with people that, for example... You know, sometimes all it takes is like a good commercial, you know. Right. <laughs> um, cracking me up here. Um, well, look at those people that drink. Their, their trigger, their cue is going out. I'm sorry, did I say drinking? Yeah. I meant to say smoking. The people that socialize and they're social smokers or they say... I don't want to drink because I'm going to have a cigarette. So they having a few drinks in stimulates that trigger, that habit from starting to go smoke. And it makes it so much harder because once that cue happens, that trigger releases like a dopamine effect. And you already feel the habit of you smoking without even smoking. And it makes it that much harder to resist it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's a good point because um, when we talk about neuroplasticity, there's actually two different kinds of neuroplasticity. The one that Matt talked about, that's called a functional neuroplasticity, and that's the permanent changes that happen with like learning and education. So like, like Matt said, you know, you you attribute smoking to, you know, drinking and having a, have a good time. So when you have that drink, you know, you want to, you have the urge to smoke, so you go smoke. And there's another neuroplasticity that's called structural. That's the one that like re- or strengthens certain connections. So that's the one that we see with like post-strokes. Like, let's say, you know, your left side or let's say yeah, your left hemisphere, hemisphere is damaged in a prior lobe. So your movement and sensation is, is that good on your on your right side. So to get that movement back, you actually don't fully heal your, your left side. Just some of those motions and um, synapses and disconnections that were attributed to your left side of your brain are now going to be helped out by the right side. So it's kind of like your right side or another part of your brain helps out the damaged part. And that's going to be like the structure one. So this same structure, except, you know, like the function you could say, say changes like um, another part of the brain and compensates for the injured area. It's like the people that are blind for some reason have a stronger sense of smell and hearing. Like Daredevil, that superhero. That was a good movie. Yeah, he, he, he can't see it, but, you know, he, he doesn't see like we see. He sees like you could say motion and like smell. And he kind of he doesn't simply see outlines. He kind of just senses heat, sensation, and, and smell. I guess. Or when it rains, he was able to outline and he was about to create a picture in his mind of what's going on based on the sound waves of the rain, right. which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So, do you think you can teach a dog a new trick? Um, yeah, but I feel like the older you get, the less complicated that trick has to be. Yeah, but a lot of people that was like it's like a thing that you can't you say that you can't teach a, a dog an old mm-hmm. trick, but you really can. Technically, with neuroplasticity, you're just going to have to create repetition for that dog in order to start completing that action. And let's go into how this all happens, guys. So now we've found out about neuroplasticity. It's this awesome way of rewiring and reprogramming your brain. But how does it actually happen? And there's something called synaptic pruning, which is aka neuroplasticity. So synaptic pruning is basically the elimination of synapses that occurs in the developing brain that is basically shedding unnecessary connections. And that's why the term neurons that fire together, wire together. And we're creating stronger connections, more of the repetition that we do. 
And that is something called, um, it's, a, it's a theory called neural Dar- Darwinism. And it's basically, it's like herd. So think about having a herd of bisons, right? They're all roaming across the African wildland or something, right? Is there bison in Africa? I don't I know. It was in North America. And not to really think about where bisons are from, guys. The prairies of Illinois. The prairies of Illinois. There was bisons in eight. We're in the 1800s right now, okay? And think about like a giant herd of bisons. And probably the ones that are in the back are probably the least fit and the most prone to die off. So what your brain does, it's it's called thinning the herd. It starts destroying the, the what's it called, the bison that are more in the back, the neurons, in order to have stronger and more effective connections. So your brain knows how to become faster, more efficient by thinning the synapses that it doesn't need. I think that's why maybe we start forgetting things that we don't you know do day to day. Exactly. Yeah. So just the the name itself neural darwinism. So when we think of darwinism it's you know evolu- evolutionary survival of the fittest. Yeah, survival of the fittest basically or just live, uh, live evolutionary in like in general. Um so like Matt said the bison. So yeah, it's better for the bison to keep the weak ones in the back because you know those will die off first and the ones that are going to mate and reproduce are the ones, you know, back in this, this whole whole sex thing again, but relating to animals. You know, the ones that are, are up front are stronger, so they're going to be more likely to reproduce compared to ones ones that were in the back. And same with our brain. We don't need certain or as strong sensations as we were when we were infants. Because I know the greatest um, synaptic pruning happens before the age of like five, I believe. And a good example of this is as well as me and Matt, you know, we grew up speaking, speaking Polish. So Poland, Polish was our first language. Now I could say that my English is better than my Polish. Why? Because I don't use Polish as often as, as I used to, especially now since I'm older and, and I don't go to Polish school. So that's our synaptic pruning is my Polish going down, but my English speaking is getting it's better. Getting Hopefully it's getting better. Spelling still is an, an issue, but it's okay. You know, can't be all good at spelling. And, then, and a fun fact here, guys, that the brain represents 2% of the person's total body weight, but yet it uses up 20% of our energy. And that, that's such that's so so fascinating. And that's why this thinning of the herd happens in order to preserve energy. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Like, I don't need to remember or I don't need to know how how to use an umbilical cord. You know, that goes away, you know, once the baby's delivered. Like, we don't need to know how to use that. Why would you save space for that in your, in your brain instead of, you know, improving another aspect like walking or, or you know, or hearing or, or sight or something yeah. like that? And that's why we also develop habits. It's, be, it's your brain's way of saving energy. And habits become autonomous with anything. Like sometimes you're like, how did I get here? Or why did I do that? It's just habit. That's why being late is a habit. It's not good or bad, but it's just the way you've programmed yourself to be. And you could change it, but it just takes a lot of effort because it's just like swimming up the river, you know? Right. I always say better late than ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's like to sleep in a little bit longer. Like today I was supposed to be here at four, but then I got pushed till. 4.30, then, then 5, and then 5.15. And to tell you the truth, I'll make it official in here, huh? That's why I went to the gym, because I figured you're going to be late. Really? For sure. I, I was thinking you go you, you go after we record, but, you know, whatever. It worked out, you know, right? It doesn't matter. Here. You know, that doesn't matter because, you know, we have our own schedules, our own lives. But, yeah. But, yeah. So, neuroplasticity, it's also, you know, like you are saying, it's it's in our mind. Like you said, the thoughts that um, we give attention to the most are going to be going to be the strongest. So, you say, like, if you... Have a lot of neg- negative thoughts. Unfortunately, you are probably going to be more prone to being a negative person. We're not accounting for depression and, and things like that because that has different genetic issues. But if you're a mentally healthy individual with n- no mental illness or any kind of issues that are, that are diagnosed, you know, if you're just negative, 
in general because you want to be negative and that's kind of what you've been doing, you're going to keep being negative until you start closing out the negative thoughts and putting positive ones in, in place. Because otherwise, you like it's like a whole, with the porn again, you know, you're going to keep going back to what, what your brain knows to do. Yeah. It, it's funny because Buddha had this saying that what you think you'll become. And Buddha, I don't know when he was alive, but it's funny how he was aware of neuroplasticity, but we just recently coined this word to understand how our brain works. So the law of attraction, all that, all that's really, really real. And our thoughts are literally connecting and creating and the strongest ones are reinforced for years out. And right. that's, that's also interesting because what goes on in your mind is basically attributed to how we deal with our life. And, you know, if you continue being anxious, you keep strength, strengthening those neural synapses and you keep being an anxious person, you know, and that's where, and then over years, your body is its own intelligent organism. It starts picking up what the mind is doing and then you start getting panic attacks, you know, and like you're getting, and then you're unaware of when you're going to get panic attacks because your body's learning it and you start running this hamster wheel of constant fear and anxiety, man. I feel so bad for those people. Yeah, same with fear is like a, a very it's very strong in general like a very very strong it released like a very strong thought process that's like strong like six times in a row but it's okay like same with like ptsd issues or people with like really strong fears like it's say so a child was thrown into a pool by their older brother at like the age four and they almost drowned you know people are going to be afraid of water because of, of what happened because your brain gets wired it's like holy shit i died i would not want to go or I, I almost died i don't want to go near water anymore those are hard to break. I know you had a patient that, that had um, a fear of claustrophobia, I think you said. Yeah, so this patient was 80-something, and I accidentally closed the door on him when I left, mm. and he freaked out and started screaming, and I walked in there, and he's like, I'm claustrophobic, but yet this room is huge, you know? And I asked him, like, when did this all start? And he was eight years old, and his brother locked him up in a closet and went to go to the movies and then came back. So this person has, and that's where this sucks is because negative rewiring is still neuroplasticity. Like his connections are so strong that he continues to relive that moment. And he keeps experiencing this fear even 70 years down the line. Like that's mind blowing. Right. It's crazy how, how that works. And people with like those kind of phobias, it's, it's a struggle for them getting treated by psychologists and, and individuals like that that work with them because like, it's like, it's like a trigger. Like your brain gets triggered on the memory and it, it's literally like brain's literally programmed to be scared because of that. And it, you can't, or it's really hard to get, get past that. Like I know I watched a video before with a person that was, had a fear of elevators and you know, their exercise was to go in an elevator. First was to step in an elevator for a few minutes or a few seconds, then go back out. And they had a really hard time dealing with this. He literally had to take it like a week at a time where he would stay in the elevator for maybe a few seconds more each time until he finally got past it. It was like a, I think it was the process was like a two year long process where he was finally able to go in the elevator and go down like two floors. Wow. But then he was still scared during that process. He, he got through it, but it was like, like you could see fear, which is pretty crazy how that works. I think I had that. Now I'm just having a deja vu moment when I was afraid of sleeping in the dark. Really? But overcame that fear, you know, I was a little boy. Yeah, I think it's because our parents tell us, you know, if, if you don't go to sleep, you know, it, like someone's going to come out in the dark and, you know, eat you or, or whatever. Right. So you better go to sleep or you, you better listen. And your parents scared the fuck out of you. And then you're just like, I don't want to go to sleep anymore. I, I don't want this dark, put the damn lights on. I don't want to get eaten because I'm not tired. You know, I just had a candy bar. Yeah. Things like that. And let's talk about pharmaceutical drugs and neuroplasticity. 
uh, like things like depression, anxiety, those things are all learned with habit. And the truth is, I feel like there's no medication that could help you or aid you in neuroplasticity, like mental issues, like, and we could debate this, whether they're genetic or whether they stem from environment, but that's not a debate for today. But mental issues like depression or anxiety, they can't be cured through pharmaceutical problems because we're only treating the symptom of depression or anxiety. Like we're just, we're putting a bandaid on of a problem that's a lot bigger. It's like same thing with diabetes. We're just giving insulin. We're putting a bandage on a bigger brewing issue, which is insulin resistance. And here we have to dig deeper and find out like what's going on. Why are you depressed? Like doctors don't ask these questions. We just sign a prescription like, oh yeah, I've been depressed for two months. Here's a pill. It's going to increase your neurochemicals of serotonin and you'll be fine. Like this person is still dealing with this doctor. Like he's not going to just randomly get cured through a pill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's people that, are, you know, might be short on serotonin, which medication does completely yes. help. But, but in this sense, we're taking into consideration like mentally healthy individuals that, you know, are struggling with depression or anxiety. So it's not a neurological imbalance. It's like a, like a, something in their mind or some kind of thought that they keep uh, going over and over and over again. Maybe it was a tra traumatic event that these medications don't cure because first of all, it doesn't, doesn't stem stem through these neuro neurochemicals because that's not the issue. The issue is just like your, your thoughts and like your, your brain. It's not your brain chemistry. It's just the way the way you think. So best way to deal with this, I feel like would to be see a psychologist or like a therapist because first of all, you got to learn what the root cause of this issue is. Like I can't just say, Hey, stop being a baby and just jump in the water. You know, you're like you're you're 24 years old. You can jump in the water. You'll be fine. You know, you're, you're you're six feet. This pool is three feet. See, it's completely different now that I know. Hey, this person has been tossed into the water at age of four. So that's kind of you got to find a root cause because if you don't know where this depression or this anxiety stems from, then you're not gonna you're not gonna cure it because if it's obvious, it's not a um, like we said, it's not a neurochemical imbalance. So that's why I feel like. Talking to it, getting to the root cause is, is your best option. And then just get in there, find out what happened, what causes the issue, and why do these thoughts keep reoccurring? Yeah, because fear is learned. It's learned behavior, yeah. And if you don't talk about it, you're not going to be able to get it out. Then, you know, talking about it itself opens up to new avenues for, for uh, rev not revolution, resolution. Because you already have different ideas than I do, and your idea might be a little bit better than mine because I've just been trying my ideas. And what I actually need is somebody to look outside the box and walk me through it or give me some some ideas that you know might help me in, in the long run. That's why I think therapy is, is actually a really, really good issue. And I'm glad that therapy is on the rise because some people want somebody to talk to, but they don't want to talk to somebody that's that like their friend or something that they know because they're they have the fear of being judged. So it's a lot a lot of times it's a lot easier to sharing something, you know, personal with somebody that doesn't even know you at all because then they have no room to judge because they don't know you in the first place. Yeah. And even seeing a therapist is more accepted. Back in the day if you say, hey, I'm going to go see a therapist, you were like shunned upon, like you have some mental issue. Mm -hmm. And it was just, everything was like just hidden underneath the rug and look at all these mental issues that were brewing up. And yeah, I think everyone should maybe talk to somebody about their mental issues or see a psychiatrist or see a therapist, whatever the case might be. I personally have never seen one, but I don't think it's a bad idea. No, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen one either, but like neuroplasticity is so big and that could be your solution to your, to your issues, you know, go see somebody, you can go go talk to somebody there, you know, they get paid to be there, first of all, so they're going to always be available for you if you need to talk to somebody. And like I said, sometimes it's good to have an unbiased 
opinion that they don't know your background or your history. They just, they're just there to find the root cause of your issue. And then they just work with that root cause. They don't work with all the other baggage that might or might not be attributing to it. Because I know sometimes it's not always one issue. It's not always, it's not always one-stop solution. Might be dealing with this, then we find out with this, now we got to move on to the next thing and the next yeah. thing. So it might be a few things, but just starting, just finding the root cause and having somebody talk to you, you know, it just opens up so much more avenues. That and like you have to be responsible, be accountable, understand what the issue is, accept it is for what it is, and you have to start basically unwinding everything. It's just like a, it's just, it's just like a ball that was accumulated, and now we have to. Look at that negative situation, those negative thoughts, that negative habit, and now we have to reinforce the mind, reinforce the bad habit, find a solution, tackle it, and fight every single negative emotion with a positive one. And then slowly, with repetition, guys, that brain will start to rewire and you'll think less negative, let's just say, or whatever the habit is. Exactly. And over time, yes, guys, like it's possible. It's not easy. It takes substantial effort. Um, but with more consistency, it'll get easier. And I think that's like even meditation. Like when you first try it, like you're just like, oh my God, I'm thinking about A, B, C, D. Like there's always so much thoughts. And the more you meditate, the more you sit down with yourself, you're able to kind of build that muscle, that like grit, whatever it is. And then you get better at it and it becomes easier. Yeah. Meditation is kind of like the aspect that we thought or the steps we talked about a few minutes ago about, you know, thinking about it and then doing it. So for meditation, when you close your eyes and you just hang out there, you're going to have a bunch of thoughts racing through. But once you do it a couple of times, then you kind of start to realize what thoughts are more prevalent than others. Am I sitting meditating and are the thoughts that come into my head, are they me judging myself for things I did that day? Or are they just negative thoughts or, or is it a combination of both? Like, are they positive or am I reflecting on my day because there's been times where I meditated and, and all I all I've been doing in my head was talking shit about what I what, what I didn't do you know and then you kind of realize you're just like damn that's I spent 15 minutes here sitting and I haven't said anything good about myself and all this in my head was just negative 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 and you're just like holy shit so the next step you could do is like every time you get a negative thought just kind of counteract counteract it with a, like a, another positive thought and try to shut that negative thought down right as it comes up don't dwell on it. Don't think about it at all. Just shoot it down. Forget. Try to forget about it. It's, you're not gonna forget it right away because it's, it's your brain. You're gonna keep going. It's like a like to the hamster wheel. So try to shoot that negative thought down with with a positive one. But once you start, you know, just relaxing and sitting down with yourself, you're gonna see what kind of actual thoughts come into your head. It's crazy how like our mind is literally writing a blueprint of neurocirculatory thoughts daily through routine through rituals. It's it's mind blowing to me. It's almost like a computer system. Like our brain is literally a program and every single day we're writing a program, writing a script. And a lot of people don't know that they write a script and they just run with it. And they're not self-aware enough to change the script, change the code, change the program. Right. It's like, it's like almost like ads too. Like it's say you saw, you looked up some um, new shoes online. Then you see, start seeing a bunch of ads for new shoes. Same with, same with your mind. You have a negative thought. You're like, hey, I did a shitty job, job today. Then that's gonna be followed by more negative thoughts because that's kind of what you what direction you reset your brain to to think about. So it's kind of fairly interesting. And, and a good example is let's just say the way you spend your commute to work. Some people are taking their time to listen to a podcast because they're listening right now and driving. Appreciate it, guys. 
So let's just say you're driving, you're in a state of gratitude, you're in a state of happiness, you're in a state of learning. Those are That's okay, right? Then there's the other driver that instead something happens, he throws a fit, he gets angry, he road rages. And people say, oh yeah, I, I road rage when I drive. Why? Because you that's a learned habit. You've learned to be that way. And the thing is, is you can rewire that. You just have to be aware. You have to stop telling yourself, I'm this way. Like you're able to break the habit of being yourself, guys. It just takes some time and it takes some focus. There And there isn't a limit to how much we could change and we could affect or rewire the brain. So everyone should become a subject of their own experiment on neuroplasticity. Yeah, I kind of said it myself. Neuroplasticity, it's not, you know, all good. Because like Matt said, it doesn't discriminate between good and bad. Like, there's the dark side of this because the same way you could learn positive reinforcement, good habits, good routines, you could also learn negative emotions, negative habits, negative routines. It's just the fact that you've been doing this negative thing for so long or... Yeah, I guess you could do that too. But like I like we said before, that you could have like rape happen or something negative like that, and that completely changes your thought process yeah. and your brain. You're scared to be with with somebody one on one, and you know that rewires your brain, and that's a negative side of neuroplasticity because that still is neuroplasticity. Your brain is still reshaping towards towards that action or towards you know that event that event that's happened, and that's kind of your thought process moving forward from then on which is very unfortunate, but that's neuroplasticity. It's like even OCD, like I used to watch MTV and, you know, they walk down the hallway and they have to tap every single corner. It becomes a habit. And like they, it's crazy how these people freak out when they literally don't do the thing that they have an OCD about. Like that's just so fascinating. I don't, I don't think I've had, I've done little experiments on myself where I've noticed things and I'll try to like unprogram myself. But sometimes a good example, guys, is you going on your phone and start checking which app is being clicked first. Like sometimes I subconsciously click on freaking Instagram and I'm like, oh, I'm here. Let me swipe off or social media in general. Like it's it's interesting how we I wired my brain to have satisfaction with social media and I go on it and it's it's a timeless waste of my time sometimes, but sometimes it's autonomous and you have to be aware to change it. Right. If the first thing you're doing on your phone is not checking up the couple nurses, then you're doing social media wrong, and you're doing your phone a, a negative. We sh- You know what we should do? We should have a wallpaper for people, like cool screensavers, some motivational stuff with the couple nurses. I wonder how much people would download it. We'd appreciate it. I don't know what we would put. Porn? No, we <laughs> get Peter with, like, sticking his tongue out. Yeah, I don't think anybody would want that in their screensaver. You know, maybe the ladies, but you never know. We'll try it out. We'll see what happens. Maybe when you get abs eventually, we could take a screensaver like that, huh? Should have been here last year then in that case, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. We'll try for Christmas. We'll put two Christmas hats on. We'll pose in abs. We'll have a screensaver. We'll save it. We'll save it. We'll sell it for 99 cents as charity to help our podcast. That'd be cool. Or I could donate it to somebody else, to um, homeless children in Africa. Mm-hmm. Or they're doing like the, a lot of people are doing like that well foundation in, um, in Africa where they're building wells. Yes. It's pretty cool. It is. I heard uh, China owns a lot of land in Africa. That's, that's off subject, though. That is off but, subject. We're going to get excited about yeah, something. Yeah. We should have a podcast episode where we just kind of talk out of our asses in a way. Just talk about cool things. Stuff that just, you know, we hear, think about, conspiracies. Yeah, we can. It might be a two or three hour long one. When you're free refills, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's last subject here where we kind of talk about strokes. Stroke recovery and neuroplasticity, guys. And as you know, a stroke is basically you cutting off circulation to the brain 
Therefore, you're depriving your cells from oxygen. And long enough, the long enough you go without oxygen, the fuel to your cells, they just die off and they decrease. And it's interesting how stroke patients are able to recover, right, through their rehabs. And they are, I don't know what the regimen is, but I know they have to do a specific task repetitively to relearn it. And I think neural connections are strengthening in other parts of the brain that were normally there. And they're able to learn some of the tasks that they... um. Yeah, that's the, like we touched on, but we find the functional and the structural neuroplasticity. Yes. This is the structural neuroplasticity. So even though, you know, certain amount of uh, neurons die in a brain, another portion of neurons are able to take control of that action. It might not be to the full capacity of, of that of that action that was, you know, prior to your stroke, but you'll be able to get some of that, that function back. If not all of it, you can still get all of it, you can completely rewire yourself, but unfortunately a lot of times it's not how, how it works out for most people so you know a lot of times like I, we mentioned before if somebody has a left-sided stroke and it affects their right side of movement your the structure of of that action will, will kind of push more towards right side and have the right side of the brain control portion of your of your right side as well and it also pass it on to a different portion of the brain and the left side and those will kind of take control of your you know your a right leg moving or your right arm moving because it kind of helps out you could say which is which is actually really cool i wonder if maybe sometimes in the future we could maybe have some medication or some kind of injection where maybe even reprograms neurons because if neurons can reprogram themselves to a certain extent then maybe we might be able to you know extend that extent extend that extent when you got words here i think dictionary peter's brain is frying up thing. so is mine guys it's been a pretty long episode I would say I hopefully you guys learned a lot of valuable information. Hopefully you guys were thinking about your own habits that you guys are doing, whether they're good or bad, whether they're, they're negative habits. Peter liked to touch upon all episode or the positive habits, but hopefully you're self-aware enough to change them, guys. And remember that your brain is able to rewire. You're able to teach it new things as long as you're creating heavy repetition, creating consistent action. And remember. If it's a negative habit, it will not be triggered unless there's the cue. So habits will not start. You just have to eliminate the trigger of your negative habit or a positive one. But I doubt you want to change a positive right. one. So Yeah, so you should start with your neuroplasticity too. Checking us out daily on YouTube and on all podcasting platforms. And we are going to be more involved, guys. I feel like we should have said this in the beginning. We forgot to. Okay. But check out Cup of Nurses on Instagram. Check out our Facebook group. It's in the link down there. Whoever listened this long, thank you guys sincerely. And we also have that travel nursing checklist out. It's also on the link if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. And you're able to download it and you're able to see how to become a travel nurse if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, and if you're not interested in it or have you ever thought about it, this is a good good place to start and look at because there's a lot of income available for you to take out there in California in different states and definitely take advantage of that. Yep. We'll see you guys next week, guys. Take care. Have a good one, guys. Deuces. Don't watch any more porn.